0: What do you want to change in your life? It's Probably an usual question to, to begin with this morning. Maybe you've thought of changing your appearance. You've probably thought of changing the course you're studying in school. You've come to realize that you made a terrible choice. Or maybe you're thinking even of changing your lecturers, if you can, or your job of being more confident, of being a better person, a more organized person. The list goes on and on. Without a doubt, there is a desire in each, of us to change something about ourselves, about our lives. Well, So we have been studying Joseph, we realize that Joseph didn't have the best of brothers. They were immoral in so many ways. They hated him. They had murderous intents. They wanted to kill him. He might have desired at some point in his life to have different brothers, to change them, to have a new set of brothers. But these were the brothers that God had given to him, and he was stuck with them. But yet, God had a bigger plan for them, a plan that Joseph first didn't realize. God had a plan to change them, not to change the brothers he had, but to change their lives, to transform them. And this chapter, these chapters that we've returned to, 42 to 44, gives us a very picture and idea of that very thing. Although these men, who were wicked men in chapter 37 of Genesis, here we see that there is something different about them. In a sense, there is the fact that God had worked in their lives, that God had used the famine that they were experiencing. And God is using even Joseph to bring to the surface the fact that these men who were wicked men are now new and different men. And as I studied these two chapters, 43 and 44, there were just five signs that I saw or I noticed of their transformation. The fact that these men have become different men. So that's sort of the, the vantage point, the perspective I'm bringing to this, to this, to this passage this morning. That this man who were wicked men in chapter 37, in 43 and 44 there is something different about them. And it is only God who has brought that to fruition. Five signs of their transformation. The first one as we see from the beginning of that chapter 43 there is an unexpected leader in the sense Judah stepped up. So far, we're seeing the story that Joseph had prospered in Egypt. Joseph has been promoted. He is now the second in command to Pharaoh. By God's providence, the famine that caused his brothers to visit Egypt, or the famine had caused his brothers to vis- visit Egypt, and in Egypt there was grain. That was the only place in the, in the whole world where they could buy food. And during their first visit, Joseph had seized one of them, Simeon. And he was not going to release them, as he said, until or unless they brought the youngest one, Benjamin, to him. But these brothers had a challenge. How would they convince their father, who so much loved Benjamin? Benjamin had now, in a sense, replaced Joseph in his life. Joseph was a favorite son. But he had thought that Joseph had died. And now Benjamin had become the favorite son. How would they convince this man that they had to take Benjamin with them to Egypt? And where we ended the last time, at the end of 42, Reuben, who was the first son, he came up with a silly offer. We know that he had slept with his father's concubines, early in Genesis. And this, without a doubt, had affected his relationship with his father. Also, we know that Reuben has sought In chapter 37, to rescue Joseph for better or worse, but he failed. In 42, we saw that Reuben had exonerated himself from the guilt. He reminded them that he had sought to free Joseph. But here we see Reuben tabling a silly offer. He comes to a man who is fearful for this son that he loves, and he pledged his two sons. Reuben pledges his two sons if any harm happened to Benjamin. Reuben wasn't being at all wise. He wasn't the perfect son or father. He wasn't being a perfect elder brother. He was the firstborn son. He was the natural leader of the family. But he wasn't living up to his position in the family. And definitely, Jacob rejects its offer. But on the other hand, we see that Judah himself was not any better. Although Judah was the fourth son, he had broken faith with his family by marrying a Canaanite woman in chapter 38. And he raised such wicked sons, we are told here in chapter 38, that God had put the two of them to death. And he had treated his daughter-in-law as a prostitute. Judah was not any better than Reuben. He was also guilty of sexual immorality. He came up with a plan in 37 to sell his younger brother, Joseph, as a slave. He brought up the idea to sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites. He was as guilty as the others. But here, Judah gives a different pledge to Reuben. verse 9, he says, I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand, you will require him. If I do not bring him, that's Benjamin, back to you and set him before you. Then let me bear the blame forever. Judah, who was a selfish man in 37 and 38, here he is being selfless. He is putting himself as a pledge, Reuben had pledged his two sons. here Judah is pledging himself, he is promising his father that he would protect Benjamin, and if any harm happens to Benjamin, he would take the blame, the guilt forever. This is a different man. Judah is being a different man. he is stepping up as a leader of a family, and as we go on, we will see. How clearly Judah, who is not the natural or who wasn't the firstborn son, truly is the leader of the family. Because of the story, we might have thought that this story was all about Joseph. That Joseph was the big deal about the story. But God had a different plan for this family. And we are seeing a glimpse of that in the life of Judah. And as Judah pledges himself... And reminds his family, his father, that if they do not go, they will die. Jacob has no choice. In verse 11, then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits. And there's a list there of presents: balm, honey, mare, gold, almonds. Take all those presents to the man in Egypt. He sends gifts to the man. And I couldn't but smile and say, well, you do not actually know that this is your son. And he asks them to take double the money. And he sends Benjamin with them. He finally accepts that Benjamin has to go. He accepts Judah's pledge. And then there is a prayer there in verse 14. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me if I am bereaved of my children. I am bereaved. Here we see the mixture of faith and fear. Jacob comes to God in prayer. But there is still that fear. If I am bereaved of my children. I am bereaved. But what would become of Judah's pledge. Will God answer Israel, Jacob's prayer? Or will his fear win? Will he see Benjamin again? That is the tension that we see here in this passage. We know, I know we know the story to the end. But this man had no idea of that. What would become of this pledge? Or will Judah go back on his pledge to his father? And will his father see Benjamin Again, so that's the first point of their transformation. Judah's pledge. Second, the nine brothers return the money. Now they are in Egypt, from verse sixteen down to verse twenty-three. They finally arrived Egypt, and to their surprise, they are told that they are going to have lunch, a meal with Joseph. They are told to. Come into his house. The first thing that comes on their mind is, well, it is about the money in our sack. This man has finally gotten us. This powerful Egyptian wants to attack us and he wants to make us a slave. What do they do? The first thing they do is to go to the steward of the house. In fear, the men were afraid, verse 18, because of the money which was placed in their sacks. They say to the steward, They tell him to see what, well, we found this money in our sack, please. We didn't know how it got there. We want to return it. Now, compare that to chapter 37. These were the same men who were willing and ready to sell their brother for money. And they had also the possibility of not coming back for Simeon. When they had seen the money in their sacks and getting back home. They could have just kept the money and stayed back. And forgotten Simeon, just as they were quite happy to sell off their brother for money. But they are not doing that. They are returning back the money. This is different from who they were in chapter 37. But the steward reassures them, he speaks a word of peace to them in verse 23. He says, "Peace to you. Do not be afraid." Your God, the God of your father, has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received the money. As readers, we know that Joseph had ordered the money to be put in their their sacks. But they didn't know. Here, the steward reveals to them that the God of Israel, their God, was walking behind the scene. They had no idea what was happening. But for us, we know. But they were willing and ready to return that morning. See God often walks. Through human agents. And this is exactly what is going on here. He is speaking a word of peace to them. And in returning their money. God was walking once again through Joseph. God was walking behind the scene. Revealing that this are now. But this is now a different set of men. There is something different about them. There is something different about them that wasn't at the early part of the story. God was walking behind the scene. This is, in a sense, very important for us in this narrative. Because, As I reminded us last time, in chapter 41, we, we have this grandiose idea that the, the assurance for us is that if we can walk long enough or be patient long enough like Joseph... And somehow, miraculously, something of bliss will come our way. But we have to take a step back and realise that there is something that God is doing in the lives of those men, of this entire family. The second sign, the return, the money. And third, I call no more jealousy. They are welcomed into Joseph's house to have a meal, a lunch with him. And they are arranged from the oldest to the youngest. Now first, Joseph sees his brother, Benjamin, and his heart grows warm for his brother. He speaks a word of peace to him. Verse 29, God be gracious to you, my son. And before that, each and every one of them actually bow down before Joseph, once again, a reminder of that dream. When they had come the first time, it was just 10 of them. Now it's 11 of them. All the brothers are now fulfilling that dream. They bow down before Joseph. The dream of his brothers bowing before him has fully come to pass. In verse 26 and in verse 28. In 29, Joseph sees his brother, his mother's son. And he asks, is this your youngest brother? And they are welcomed into his house. As he can't control himself, he runs out. He cries. And he comes back and asks that food be served for them. In various cultures, there are various ways that people eat and various things that people do around the table. In my own culture, there is this very practice of if the wine is served in an occasion, the, the oldest would be the one to have the last drop of the wine, just as a mark of respect to, to the elders there. And of all, there are several things in my culture I don't like, but I've told my family that I'll make sure that I preserve that because someday I'll be the eldest. But various cultures do various things. And for them, when they are arranged from the oldest to the youngest, it's one, a sign of respect. But secondly, if there is anyone at the table who would have the largest portion, it has to be the oldest person. In verse 34, we throw the portions we are taken to them before Joseph's table. But Benjamin's portion of, was five times as much as any of theirs. Instead of the oldest, who have the largest portion. The youngest, Benjamin, who is now the favorite son, who Joseph speaks graciously to, who their father loves more than each and every one of them, is now given the largest portion. Now what should they do? What, would, what should Reuben think? Well, Reuben should be angry. Reuben should say, no, I'm the oldest. Reuben should be jealous that Benjamin is getting a special treatment, the treatment that he should be getting. We are told that first, the men looked at one another in amazement, and secondly, they drank at the end of verse 34, and were merry with him. There is no there is no sign of jealousy again amongst them. They are happy, they are celebrating, they are making merry. If this was the man in chapter thirty seven who loved who who hated Joseph, who hated Joseph and became jealous with him and couldn't speak a word of peace to him, then we are gonna be jealous. And it's possible that once again Joseph is testing them to see if this men are the same men, or if something different has happened to them. And that is exactly what it sees. There is no more jealousy amongst them. That is for us the third sign. There is no more jealousy among these brothers. Then in chapter 44, Joseph has a final test for his brothers. At this point, they still do not know it's Joseph. Joseph has successfully concealed his identity from them. He knows them well enough. He knows their secrets. He knows that they planned to kill him. He knows that they ended up selling him. Joseph knows all about them. But they do not. So so far they have successfully passed this test. They have brought Benjamin to him. There was no sign of jealousy amongst them again. But Joseph is not yet content. Before he he reveals himself to them. He has on final plan. That's what we have in chapter 44. What does Joseph do? His plan is, as he speaks to the steward, to once again put each man's money in the mouth of their sack, all the 11 of them. Then for one, the youngest, the favored son, the one who had had five times the portion, this same Benjamin, to put his silver cup, verse 2, put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest. And then in the morning, as a set-off, Joseph orders a steward to go after them. Follow up the men. Follow after the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Well, these were the men who had seen their money in their sack at first. They had enjoyed a meal with Joseph. Joseph had been gracious to them. Be kind to them. Joseph is setting something up for them. And he says, you have done evil. And they are shocked. They are surprised. Why does my Lord speak such words The same, verse 7? Behold, the money that we found in the mouth of Asa, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we still see our well good from your Lord's house? See, the, top, the fourth sign that I see in those men, it's what I call a sense of unity among them. For they have a confidence and trust that none of them would have done such a thing. How could we still see our well good from your house? Have a trust and confidence in their character. Verse nine, whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my lost servants. He said that still let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. And as the search starts again from the oldest, the corpse is found in Benjamin's sack. What would be their reaction at this point? Again, this is the favorite son. The one who is their stepbrother. The one who is from the woman that their father so much loved and cherished. The one he really wanted to marry. Benjamin. He's the new favorite son. What would be their reaction? Would their reaction be the same reaction they had to Joseph in thirty-seven? Verse 13, they tore their clothes. See, if you go back to chapter 37, you will notice that when Reuben came back and they didn't see Joseph, he tore his clothes. And when they had dipped Joseph's clothes in blood and brought to his father, their father tore his clothes. Their father showed grief and remorse. And meanwhile, these men were, in a sense, heartless. They felt no guilt about what had happened. But here we are seeing that there is something different about them. Each and every one of them are showing unity in the sharing of this grief. They are not standing back and say, oh, this is Benjamin, the new favorite son. Like Joseph, we do not want you to go and suffer alone. This is a different reaction from their reaction in chapter 7. And here Joseph wisely seems to be replaying that scene for them. What would be their reaction to this new favorite son? Would they turn their backs? Would they gladly leave Benjamin in Egypt and then go back home and lie to their father that something had happened to him? No, there is sense of unity among them. The unity in the trust and confidence they have for one another. And the unity in their shared grief and sorrow over this. Again, they didn't know that this was a test, a trick from Joseph. They didn't know that Joseph seems to be replaying that scene to them. They didn't know. But their reaction is different. And fifth... As Judah steps up again, From verse 14, we see Judah and his brother. Judah is identified now as the leader of the family. Verse 14, Judah and his brother, they arrive before Joseph. And Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you know that, or don't you know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? There is no evidence that Joseph really practices divination. This is part of his trick. This is part of the cover-up. He doesn't want them to know who he is. He's setting it up. And in verse 16, Judah comes before him with a long speech. From verse 16. And the summary of the speech is that Judah has a plea before Joseph. And 14 times here, Judah mentions the word father. He has a deep concern for his father. Remember that Judah was part of the plan to sell Joseph and at that time he had he couldn't really care about what his father would have felt. But here Judah has a deep concern for his father. Judah admits in verse 20 and 27 that yes, this Benjamin is the one loved by our father. It seems he has come to accept the fact that Jacob really loved Rachel and so the sons that were born to him by this woman were his favorites. He seems to admit that yes, the father truly loves this Benjamin. That is not a problem for him. In spite of that favoritism, J- Judah is really to admit that this boy, his life is bound, the father's life is bound to this boy. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to my father in thirty, and the boy is not with me, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with me, he will die. Joseph is saying, okay, this has happened. I'm going to keep back this boy and you can all go. And Judah said, no, that can't happen because I know what would happen to our father." And here he now offers a plea in verse 33. Now, therefore, please, let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. And let the boy go back with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. See, Judah, this plea clearly shows that he has become a different man. Judah is willing to to be a substitute to Benjamin. Judah admits that, yes, Benjamin is the favorite son. He, He might have done this, but he realizes how devastating this would be to his family, to his father. Judah never thought about that in 37 when he... I suggested that Joseph be sold. But this is Judah being a different man. He's not only being true to his promise, but he shows that there is a new heart. He shows that he is ready to be a substitute for Benjamin. He is ready to be a servant so that Benjamin can go free. See, we must not underestimate the fact that God can transform and change people. See, God has used the famine and God has used Joseph's test to really change this man. And this is the point of this this passages. Because before we come to 45 next, next week, as Pastor James takes it, before Joseph reveals himself, he sees in his brothers that these are changed and transformed men. Which he sees in them that God has redeemed them. He sees in them that God changes men who were wicked sinners. Judah, who was an immoral man. Judah, who was self-centered. Judah, who was selfish. These brothers who had hated him, he sees in them that there is something new about them. Last week, we were talking about their guilt, the fact that they finally came to admit their guilt. And we reminded ourselves that each and every one is a guilty sinner before God. But here we see that God has transformed and changed his guilty men. And that is the same good news for each and every one of us. That just as God transformed these wicked brothers of Joseph, just as God has changed them, their attitude, and the evidence that we see in Judah's plea and all the other signs, in the same way, God can transform and change Every guilty sinner. Judah didn't, as the story develops, he didn't have to end up being a substitute for Benjamin. Because Joseph now reveals himself to them. He didn't have to. But the gospel reminds us there is someone who indeed stood as a substitute for guilty sinners. And that is the only way that God takes away the guilt of sinners. That substitute. The one who was willing to take upon himself the guilt and say, let them go free. As Judah said, let Benjamin go free. I would be your servant. Jesus says to the father, let them go free. I have paid for their sins. And the point is this. that you a guilty sinner? You cannot pay for your sins. Only if you trust in the Lord Jesus. In his death, In his substitution for you. That is the only way you can be free. And God can change and transform you. Because someone has taken upon himself. Your guilt. Your sin. Your shame. He reminds us that a vilest offender. Who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. That is where the good news is. That the moment you put your trust in Christ, that moment you receive forgiveness because he took upon himself your sins. Know if you are Worse than Reuben or Simeon or Levi or Judah. But the picture of Judah standing forth, offering himself as a ransom for Benjamin should be a reminder of God's amazing grace for us. know, yes. if you're trying to, like I was just speaking to the children, trying by your own special imaginations to make yourself right with God. And you are told to to do different things. Or you believe that you have to do different things. You have to do this, do that, and do all that. But the Bible reminds you that you cannot. It's only by God's grace, God's amazing grace the substitute Jesus as sinners find forgiveness and transformation. Yes, God can change you and he does it through the cross of Christ. But again, there has to be an evidence of a changed life. There has to be an evidence that you have been transformed. We see the signs, the, the various... Attitudes and behaviors that we now see in this man, especially in Judah. We cannot say that you have, you have found forgiveness in Christ, that you have been changed, that you have transformed, and yet you are living as a way. And there has to be a desire in you as a Christian, the one who has found real forgiveness, to pursue holiness. The book of James reminds us that you believe that God is one. Yes, even demons believe and tremble. It's not just about making a mental ascent and saying, yes, I'm a Christian. It's not by trusting in the fact that you, you've always had the privilege of coming to church or being brought up in a Christian home. No, there has to be an evidence a fruit that you are really a believer. There has to be an evidence that you have a new heart. There has to be an evidence that you you desire God's word. There has to be an evidence that you love God, that you love God's people. that You're willing to serve God's people. There has to be an evidence that you have a renewed mind. There has to be an evidence of a new life of obedience and walk with God. There has to be evidence that you have been transformed. So you can this morning take a text and ask yourself am I truly trusting in Jesus? Am I truly holding on to him as my Lord, as the one who has saved me who has washed my guilt? Am I truly trusting in him? And is there Ongoing evidence of that. Philippians reminds us that we are to walk at our salvation with fear and trembling. But it goes on to remind us that God is the one who works in us, which we will, and to do for his good pleasure. This means that you as a Christian has a responsibility to obey God. Yes, it is ultimately God who works in you. But you have the responsibility to obey him. You have the responsibility to live a good and righteous life. You have the responsibility to flee from sin. But that is built on a changed and transformed life. You're not walking your way through God because you cannot. But because you are now God's child then it has to follow that you are God's child. In closing, that's why I read from Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. Verse 25 there, Paul says, Therefore put away falsehood. Each one of you speak the truth. It has to be an active thing to put away sin, to run from it, to hate it. Be angry and do not sin. Do not give an opportunity to the devil. The Bible commands believers living a transformed and changed life to walk what you say you believe. Not just to make a mental assent and say on so and so day I believed in Jesus but now it doesn't really matter how I live. No, just like Judah and his brothers, who God had transformed and changed and Joseph had seen it in them, there has to be a testimony of a change and transformed life if you are trusting in Jesus. But if you are not, then I have a different plea from that of Judah for you to see the one who has Taking upon himself your sin, the only true substitute for your sin, to really trust in him, to really hold on to him. Let us pray. Lord, we say from our hearts that we we need you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word is able to transform and change us. Lord, when we come to your word, you are able to reveal our hearts to us. Lord, gently, you bring us to where you want us to be, at the foot of the cross. Lord may you by your spirit draw our hearts to you that we once again truly place our trust in Christ the only one who died for our sins and may you give us the power we need to walk in light of that to really show that we are transformed and changed people. So, Lord, we plead with you that that would be so, not just today, but all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen.